Welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. today on Beautiful Botswana is somebody I met very early on in my years in Botswana. We met working as camp managers together and since then every few years we touch base over different shared interests. She's a born storyteller and I'm very excited to have her on, on the podcast today to share stories. She is a leading light in communities and cultural tourism in Maun. She's a Maun native and lives about two kilometers down the river from me um, on the Tamalakani. So it gives me great joy to welcome to you today Bessie Head Literature Award winner, Bonte Otomile. Welcome, Bonte, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be on your show, Tessa. Thank you. Well, Bonte, I'm going to start by asking you to tell our listeners a little bit about your history. I've, I mean, you, my introduction doesn't even come close to covering everything you've achieved in your years and the depth of your expertise in both tourism and community development and cultural tourism development. <laughs> okay, so how far do you want me to span <laughs> so that we don't sit here all night? It's a dangerous question. Okay. I joined the tourism industry just by fluke. You know, I actually didn't know. I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. But when I was 18, because I was born in Maung and I was raised, I went to school in Orapa, but every, you know, during school holidays, we'd come here. Orapa is a diamond mining town. It's like a little Monaco in the middle of, of, of Botswana. So my father didn't want us to lose track of who we are, you know, our, you know, our values, our traditions and our identity. So every school holidays we used to come here and I just knew Maung as the place where you came to as, um, you know, during school holidays. So when I completed my high school, I had three months to sort of wait for my results. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So my food and nutrition teacher had said to me, the easiest thing to get a job in is tourism because, you know, it, it's quite seasonal. So I applied for a job. I applied to, to three different places in, in Maung. I applied to Riley's, and there was a place called Bonaventure at the time. It was a travel agency. And to Croc Camp, Crocodile Camp Safaris, rather. And Crocodile Camp Safaris basically offered me a job and said, well, let's just see the three months waiting for the, 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 the results for your exams. We'll see if you like, we like you or you like us. And if we're happy, we can offer you a job. And if not, you can go on to whatever is next on your, your life plan. And it was just like a new world opened to me. You know, I was 18 years old. I lived a pretty much um, traditional slash Western life. But now to be open to the whole new world of tourism, it was just like Alice in Wonderland. And I, I mean, within a month, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. So after three months, my boss said to me, listen, we are happy with you. Um, you've completed your probation. We'd like you to stay. But at the time, the government... We were doing national service, and the government said, we, you need to go and do your part and 
spend a year in civil service. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I opted not to go for the um, national service because I really enjoyed the tourism industry. And my boss managed to help me get a scholarship. I went to study in Canada at Georgian College in Barrie, Ontario. I studied hospitality and tourism. And I came back. And that was as early as 1991. I came back and basically my, 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 my boss said to me, um, you're running the lodge. I don't want to do this anymore. She was moving on to Moana. And I ran the lodge for a while. And then after that, I thought, okay, I outgrown Croc Camp. I wanted to experience working in other lodges. And basically, I went all over lodges and camps in the Galangu Delta. Um, thereafter, I went to study in Hawaii. And I did a course in travel industry management, minored in industrial psychology, came back. And this time, I was kind of a little bit tired of the tourism industry. And I really wanted to delve more into the community-based natural resource management, which was a way of trying to get citizens to participate in the tourism industry. And also the government had made great strides to see how they could involve citizens. But I felt like, you know, they would go to a village and say, hey, join the tourism industry. And you're looking at people who've been waiters or chefs or, or housekeepers all their lives and say, okay, well, be partners in this community-based natural resource management with not really manage much management skills or some background. So I spent a lot of time with very in various trusts working with the members of the trust to teach them problem solving, decision making, and just being astute like business acumen, communication, those kinds of things. But in the end, I think what was happening is what I was trying to do was something really ambitious because you're looking at basically people that some of them might have gone to as far as high school to try and run a, a, a big multi-million dollar business. And most of them I found actually preferred to go into partnerships with um, various expat-owned companies to say, well, listen, why don't you just rent our concession or land and we get a rental and we'll, we'll see how we use that to develop our communities. But even then, I was still very much involved to say, how do you use those funds to develop the, the, the community so that they're not just workers, that they're actually they're actual participants. Thereafter, I decided, well, okay, right, <laughs> uh, we need to do something different. And like I said, I'm from a generation of storytellers. I thought, you know, our culture is just rapidly dying because I think the danger also of opening Botswana to the rest of the world is you, you want to keep up. You know, you want to sort of say we are also modern. And I felt like I need to sort of capture our culture in a way that um, is actually quite educational, entertaining, without it being too, being too phony or too far-fetched. And this is something that was inspired by my study in Hawaii, where the Polynesians were really trying to show the different cultures. So that's how I sat around to say, well, what can I do that is um, authentic to me? And like I said, I'm from a family of storytellers. I thought I'll start with storytelling. And I started to write the stories that I grew up hearing and stories that I made up, but I decided to make them in book form. And then I thought, okay, how do I get excited? How do I get people excited about story, uh, books? Is to now make them, translate them into amateur theater. Because I also realized that there was a high unemployment rate at the time. So I thought, okay, let me get the youth as a future custodians of culture to participate in anything that is cultural, but in a way that it can also give them an income, it can also give them social skills. 
And actually, it was a, a trial and error thing. I thought, okay, I want to make a book exciting to an audience that doesn't know much about Botswana culture. I also want to see if the youth can continue to be excited about their own culture. So it was an experiment from my first book. And my plan had been, okay, let's just do it, and then we're done. And it was, it went very well. The government sponsored us. And after I was done, I was like, okay, this is exciting, guys. I'll see you next year. And they're like, oh, no, we're not going anywhere. We don't have jobs. You know, this is exciting. We want more of it. You know, you can't just get us, get us excited and abandon us. That's when I realized that, you know, I had to do something more sustainable. So, of course, I went to the tourism industry, the tour operators, the people that I'd known over the years to say, hey, what can we do with cultural tourism? And, and many of them were very supportive. They said, you know, Bonte, hey, we can put um, cultural tourism on our itinerary if you can promise us that you've got a product every night. Like if you go to Victoria Falls, cultural village there, you go here, there's something happening. So they said, okay, develop something. And if you can come up with that product and we can put it in our itinerary, we will be there. So that's when, again, I had to go back to the drawing board to think, okay, what do I do? And that's when I realized the gaps and the need. And that's why I said I, I, I narrowed it down to two ethnic groups, to four rites of passages, and to look at the food, song, dance, and stories to say, okay, I could create this product. Okay, so Bonte, earlier you mentioned that you work with the youth. Is there a reason why you chose to work with the youth specifically as a generation? When I was doing um, working on a, with, with the Shorabe community in the Shorabe village, Part, I was a training coordinator and I was working with 40 youth. Now, Shorobe is 30 kilometers away from Maun, and I was working with 40 unemployed youth trying to train them on tourism related skills. And at the time when I decided actually I'm going to become self employed, I remember just being haunted by the fact that if this small village has got 40 unemployed youth, what about Greater Maun? And I think the minute I just sort of put the question out there, I started to notice youth during working hours just milling around. And I would talk to them and say, hey, uh, why aren't you in school? Why aren't you working? And they oh, we didn't do well. We can't find jobs. So, so I thought, okay, I can't walk away from the problem. So that was maybe the second thing. The third thing was when I did realize that the Botswana culture was fading and I thought, how do I keep it running? How do I keep it going? the best thing is to explain it to the youth, to say, look at this beautiful culture that you have, that you need to hold on to um, in order for it to have life beyond the, the, the present time. So those are the three reasons that I think I, I know I chose to work with the youth. And the fourth one was the one I told you when I thought I, I was done with them. I was basically going to say, well, I've done my project now. And they were like, oh, no, you, we're not going anywhere. We're stuck with you. So... <laughs> Then, then my sale, my my fate was sealed, and I enjoy it. I, I I love it. I absolutely love it now. I just I I don't see myself working with another group. I couldn't work with toddlers, and I don't particularly. I work with older people in a way. Yeah, as far as getting um the 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 traditions explained to me, but I enjoy working with youth. They've got the energy, and they actually also are innovative enough to say, "Well, we could do that. We could do this." They can translate it in ways that I I think are refreshing. Bonte, I think anyone who knows you would say maybe you have the energy for the youth rather than them bringing the energy to you. You're one of the most energetic people I know. <laughs> OK, 
Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't, it, I think it's a symbiosis. It's, it's a symbiosis, Tessa, because I mean, um, you know, you, you can sometimes get these that you just, you know, you just sort of strike a match and they flare up and, you know, we fly. Yeah, so I think it's a two-way road. I wouldn't claim that, hey, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks very much for that, that, that background, Bonte. It's definitely interesting to hear your story and how you ended up here. One of the reasons I've asked you to join me today is to talk about the, alter, the other side of tourism to Botswana. I didn't want it to be that the assumption was straight off the bat that uh, tra travel to Botswana is only about wildlife. Uh, the people of this country are a huge resource and asset, and I wanted us to be in a position to start talking about what awaits travelers to Botswana in terms of the cultural experience that Botswana offers. So, Bonti, you've started trials on a cultural product available for people staying in Maun based out of your uh -huh. base in Maun. Um, what can you yes. share with our listeners in terms of your experience so far in what people are looking for in cultural tourism? And I suppose the question is, what's the potential for sharing these experiences together? And what have you learned through having tourists or travelers with you through these cultural experiences? I think the potential is great. And I mean, it, it, it would be like you asking me how long is a piece of string, you know, the potential and the demand and the interest is very high. And I don't, you know, one thing I can tell you that I know tourists are not interested in is going into what some people might term a cultural village and being shown this is a Bushman hut, this is a Herero hut, and, you know, have still statues of different animals. Tourists want things that are interactive. That one, that, that's one thing that I, I, I found yes goes over very well. They don't want to sit there and be lectured to. They want to participate. They want to be, to be able to try things, ask questions. Um, and also they want it to be, it to be diverse. They don't want to sort of, you know, they're not going to sit through a three hour lecture. I, I don't sit and lecture people. Um, they also want mm -hmm. to interact directly with Botswana um, that are not just serving them food or showing them animals or driving them to places. They actually want to interact on a meaningful way based on that person's interests are. Because often I've had people say, oh, I spoke to so-and-so and I was trying to find out if they're married, how many kids they have, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you could tell there was just a lot of mm -hmm. interest to say, well, how do you live? So I think there's a lot of potential, a lot of interest out there as long as service provi providers can provide that platform is definitely a lot of it mm -hmm. i think you've touched on something really uh that's that's what makes cultural tourism such a sort of subtle and in a way challenging thing to have a conversation about that as a safari goer you are meeting Botswana right through your stay from the immigration official at Mount airport through to the pilot the porter the guide picking you up at the airstrip and um, the people looking after you in a camp environment. But I think that a lot of people feel like when you are interacting with people in a camp environment, it's their job to be nice and affable yeah. and yeah. open and humorous and whatever it might be. So having those kind of conversations is sometimes a bit awkward yeah. because either you feel as a, as a traveler, 
that you're hijacking this person's time when they've got other things to do or mm-hmm. you feel like they're going to give you a exactly. canned response because they've got to represent the company and the country well because you're holding the title of traveler and they're working Absolutely. as a ambassador for the country. But at the same time, often those people are actually not holding themselves back and they are being themselves. So it is very challenging to be able to say, is the cultural experience that you're going to get as a traveler going to lodges a sufficient cultural experience to say that you have understood the country and the people in the country? Or should you be aiming to supplement it with a cultural experience that is, like you say, an interactive uh, engaged way of learning a little bit more about the people in the country. I definitely don't think it's enough for you to go to a lodge and say you've had a cultural experience because, you know, I mean, having worked in the tourism industry for so long, I know if somebody starts to ask me personal questions just as a way of getting insights on Botswana culture, either the spouse will say, leave her alone, you know, that's personal, you know, you're being nosy, blah, 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 you know what I mean? So there are a lot of barriers that do block things from being shown. Or let's say, guess some they could be have some music and then you have three people who can sing or dance in the camp it's also not representative of a traditional song and some people might not even know why what what context that song is sung i think that is too staged and just it, it doesn't it doesn't show something that you can walk away yes you can say but one are friendly they're this they're that which they are if you went to a herero village and asked about their beautiful dresses you know, how they churn traditional milk, uh, the traditional butter. There are just so many things that I think people can learn from different groups, if depending on their interests. If it's packaged, then no, the, the lodge experience alone doesn't op- offer that compliment. Yeah, I think what we can say is, how, of course, as a safari go, you are meeting the local people, and that is a compliment, that is an important mm. part of your stay. But if you want to get into the, mm. a little bit deeper under the skin and have a more immersive cultural experience you need to go looking for it a safari on its own oh, yeah. not going to be not going to be enough um, unless i suppose if you're in an environment where you really are being privately hosted or guided by someone who's going to give you that insight the standard safari experience you're going to find that you're you you're, you're getting that on a very superficial level if somebody is wanting a Absolutely. deeper cultural experience in Botswana, and that's why they want to travel to the country mm. and they want to learn more about elements of the local culture. What would you suggest mm. they look into as terms of activities? Are there any suggestions of where they can look at in terms of getting these kind of experiences? Well, yes and no, um, because it depends if, okay, like I, I don't, I remain to be corrected here because I know at some point Botswana Tourism Organization had lists of annual cultural events, whether they were festivals or just, you know, something happening in a certain area. You might be coming in between the dates. You know, these 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 cultural events or festivals have specific dates in a specific location. A tourist might be coming, and as you know, Botswana is huge, just, you know, about the size of France. And you come to, to, to Botswana and you want to look at the, the different Bushman, um, let's, let's say the, the, the Bushman culture, you know, the Kuru Dance Festival is a very popular international festival, but now it's been diminished to being showcased twice a year. 
and you'd have to go all the way to Hanzi to that, you know, to the farm out there. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. There are a, a lot of activities, but I don't think they have been developed enough. You can't, you cannot just sort of, they're not there at the click of a button like a safari or a lodge. The lodge, the wildlife and wilderness uh, product has really been developed. The cultural tourism product, I don't want to oversell it. It still has a lot of work. Um, and if you were in Maun, like I said, you could, you know, you could easily get a meal, a traditional meal and choose what you want right there. You know, you wouldn't have to go far. You could get crafts, but the other stuff you would have to just arrange with somebody. And many of the guides have um, the contacts and they, you know, they have their little groups there, but it's, it's still not developed enough. We have, we still have our work out for us. So this is our call to the Botswana listeners that this is the opportunity. This is this is the unexplored, oh, yeah. un, unexploited potential area of growth. Exactly, and I don't know if you came to that meeting. There was a task force that I know the current president put together. They call them the Bajana-like cluster to sort of say we need to develop a cultural tourism. And there were so many people, so many Botswana, who came to the table to say we're doing this, we're doing that. They were still at varying um, levels of development. Some were still in the infancy, but there wasn't anything that was like, okay, listen, let you know, this is what we've got. At least from the the few um, areas that I I had. I mean, we've got things like even the Mount International Arts Festival. They try and run for a week, but it's also an annual event. You know, where you can get storytelling there, traditional poetry there, da 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 da. I actually was part of the the Bojanala, um cluster development. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, I think, probably where this, this podcast first, this idea that there's so much to celebrate in this country first germinated. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is, it is exciting how much is out there. So, Bonte, off mic, you mentioned to me that there are so many different cultural groupings in Botswana and, you know, you're, you're focusing on two of them. And I think that that's another mm. important thing to share with somebody traveling to this country that when we talk mm. about cultural tourism there are so many nuances uh like mm. anywhere in the world you've got regional variation you are traveling in a and you are staying in a lodge the people serving you are not from all from the same place um, in some places they are because they're community mm-hmm. um, based employees but generally they're from all over the country they speak different home languages mm. In a lot of cases, Setswana is not even their home language. And actually, by speaking English to you, they're speaking their third language. Can you give the listeners a little bit of a background like you gave me earlier about just how many groups there are and and who, which groups you work with and, and why you've chosen to highlight those two cultures? At Independence, because Botswana is ethnically pluralistic. I mean, there are more than 30 different ethnic groups. And I think the president at the time thought, well, what is the one way to unite these, this mosaic, this assortment of cultures and languages and traditions? And that's why they, there's a term called Swanadom. So let's, let's, let's just find something that's going to unite us so that whichever part of the country you go to, you will understand people and be understood. So the language, for instance, was nationalized. yeah, And some of the traditions were sort of yeah, but people were allowed to continue practicing whatever um, cultures made them this distinct. And in Ngamland district alone, at least when I was doing my studies, I found that there were at least 15 different ethnic groups. 
that have come from all over Southern Africa that came to Botswana in different at different times or different eras for different reasons, you know, where they were um, fleeing persecution or they came here for 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 for, for greener pastures. But um, I specifically chose to at least for this cultural tourism product that I've currently developed to concentrate on two the YA because that is part of my heritage. And it's something that I don't know much about. And I was just very curious to say, okay, so what makes me a YA? The Batawana are part of the Tswana, the, the eight sort of like homogeneous groups that um, gave Botswana its name, but they're sort of the dominant groups. So the Batawana are the dominant group in this area and the YA is part of my heritage. And I, I chose those two because I have been raised like a Batawana and I wanted to understand why we do certain things in the YA because of the gap of like, so if I say I'm a YA, what does that mean? Um, and in my storytelling, that's when I, I sort of cast the net, the net out wide because like one of the children's books that I've written right now is based on the, the, the Banderi culture because I used to always think that by Herreros, all these women who wear these beautiful Victorian dresses were Herreros. And it wasn't until I started doing my master's degree that I learned that they are the Ova Banderu and Ochi Herrero. I was like, oh, okay, I've always lumped them and thought, okay, those people are Herreros. So once again, I went in and did my research and realized, wow, they are different. I mean, they're similar, they're similar to us, but amongst themselves, they know what dis distinguishes them. So to any listener out there, I would say, yes, we might all wear Western clothes. We might all be able to speak Setswana and speak English, rah, rah, rah. But we are from very, very different groups and um, ethnic groups and we've got different values and different communications. And then you mentioned that with your product, you're discussing the different rites of passage. Can you just run through the different rites mm. of passage you are addressing and why those ones were the ones you considered meaningful? I do birth, I do adult um, initi in, like adult initiation, say puberty if you want, marriage. Mm -hmm. I used to, I have death as an option to those who are interested. I specifically chose those three rites of passage because they're international. <laughs> Almost mm -hmm. everybody is a parent or an aunt or you know what I mean. You, you, birth is not an alien concept to anybody in any part of the world. I just bring, I wanted to highlight how we do it here. Presumably most of us have gone through puberty or are going through puberty. So I also thought it's something that, um, especially right, I mean, because I work with a lot of youth, I thought it was just very important to sort of share um, adult initiation because at least now in Botswana, the one thing that many of the very few groups actually still um, practice their own traditional adult initiation but i wanted to highlight some of the things that we've lost because what happened is mainstream education replaced traditional adult initiation so this is something i'm trying to sort of share with a lot of experts to say well what do you do when you when your kids become teenagers how do you prepare them for adult life whether it's their insecurities whether it's practical skills whether it's emotional intelligence rah 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 how do you do it this is how we used to do it and the third one, marriage. Again, marriage is international. Either people are common-law spouses or they've married or they share a home with a significant other. So I just thought if I choose something that people can say, oh my gosh, I can relate to this. They can hear the differences or similarities. And that's how I basically know, concentrate on that. And food, of course, 
is a curiosity. I mean, Food After This Talk is a very casual platform for now to, for us to sit and exchange stories, but it also just unites everybody to sort of say, okay, what is a food? And the song and dance, people love, a lot of tourists love traditional song and dance, African traditional song and dance. So I brought that in. And the crafts, I brought it in as my way of outreach to just sort of say, not every woman or artist or youth out there sings cooks but they make crafts that need an outlet and they might not necessarily make enough to be able to supply lodges and camps but they can have a little table there and come and sell the little trinkets and the, the, the tourists can interact with them and then they can also see ooh, I could live off this or I need to make more of this or less of that so that's how I chose the the different um, aspects of my cultural tourism product well, I think that uh, this global lockdown has shown just exactly how those rites of passage are, even in a Western world, their rights. And I think one of the things that I found so interesting with lockdown is that it has shown me how, and I think it's shown humanity, how those rights have value to us. We all are feeling very sad that we can't see on, you know, I won't say we, but as humanity, that their babies being born who haven't been able to meet their grandparents and their people dying and mm-hmm. we have not been able to follow the traditional funeral process. And when we see those mm-hmm. images on social media or on TV, it, it really hits us at the core of our humanity because there are mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. intrinsic parts of our humanity and those rites of passage are so important but in the western world we somehow we don't give them that we will previously in our busy lives pre-corona mm. we weren't really giving them that understanding or appreciation of their importance so i think mm-hmm. it's really great that you're doing that and mm. i hope going forward that as we do start to travel again and as the world opens up that people are asking more about these kind of things having gone through this experience of lockdown mm. And asking, and you know, we've also seen all the wonderful mm. footage on social media of music and dance uniting people mm. who are isolated and sh- being shared culturally. And I think that that um, it's a great reminder to all of us that these are the things that really do matter. Mm. And so, I think it's great that you've mm. you've got a package that offers all of that and offers exposure to that uh, for Thank people you. who want to know about that side of Botswana. I think that's really great. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I mean, it's been very exciting. It's been very exciting. So you mentioned the crafts earlier, Bonte, and obviously crafts is uh, a huge, so there's great variation. There, there's so much out there and it's very subjective because of personal taste. But if somebody traveling to Botswana mm. wants to take home a real traditional or real, really authentic uh, craft that they can say mm. has been made in the culturally historical way or is unique to Ngamiland or Northern Botswana, what would you suggest they look at buying? A basket, definitely. And there, there, there are different types there, whether they are round baskets, flat baskets or open baskets. And also they have, the, you know, they've got practical use. I mean, I, I, you know, whenever I've sold baskets on behalf of some of my weavers, I always tell the guests, don't, you don't have to put it on your wall. You can put your fruit or your snacks or your earrings in it. You know what I mean? Mm. So definitely one of a, a basket. Um, and a carving. Okay, the humble kusha, for instance, are a 
big carving group, and they've got they've got beautiful wooden spoons, and they're not as many as as they as before, I, I guess, for environmental reasons. But anyway, often things like wooden spoons are cutoffs. You know what I mean? They're not bringing down a whole tree to make a a, a, a sculpture or a drum. Yeah, and it's also light enough to 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 pack. Mm-hmm. One of my books for sure, <laughs> because my <laughs> books are folklore. Yes. They're based on the, 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 the you know, uh, on, on show, showcasing certain um, superstitions and beliefs and values. And, and it's written by me. I'm based in Maung and it's based on groups that are in the area. Fantastic. Well, Bonti, that's just been, I think we've done a, a fair justice to what is a very complicated conversation. It's not always easy to talk about uh, a culture and communities. So thank you very much for this great introduction. Thank you. I think as we go, as I go forward with different interviews and different episodes, we'll start to build this picture of just who the people of this area are. But thank you for giving us a great mm-hmm. outline in terms of what is out there and what what people should be considering when they travel on their safari and what they need to be mindful of in terms of cultural and community experiences. Absolutely. So, Bonti, are you ready for your snapshot session? Yeah. Uh, so, you said right at the beginning that your your initial experience in tourism was in lodges. So, these are more safari-focused questions, more than your mound-based cultural tourism. But I am sure with your years of experience behind you, you can share some great tips for us. So... Bonti, what is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why? It has to be one one item. I was thinking about that and I think, oh gosh, it doesn't have to be one. <laughs> no, I'll let you have a few. I mean, you're a woman. Great, thank you. I'll, okay, I'll say my camera, my sunglasses, my kikoi, and a journal. Fantastic. Do you want to give us a brief reason why? My camera. The camera captures, the cliche picture is worth worth a thousand words. As a storyteller, the camera captures so many stories for me because I'll look at nothing, oh my God, look at that. And if I take the picture, I don't need to remember it. I can, then I can use it to translate my stories and my experiences later. You know what I mean? It, it's not a dream. It's not abstract. I've got it. To, I, I, it's there. I was here. And then, like I said, I'm able to take it to um, a story level. Um, my sunglasses. Wow. For obvious reasons. This one is bright. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, especially when you're on safari, you can get quite dusty, so it protects my eyes. My kikoi, the kikoi has what, it's the most diverse thing that I think, I mean, as I'm talking to you right now, I've got a kikoi on my lap with my cat on it. You know, I can use it to wrap my head, wrap around my shoulders, I can sit on it, I can, you know what I mean? It just, it, it, it's like a security blanket. I can't say enough about my kikoi. My journal, nature inspires every single cell in my body. And my, the journal helps me to decant um, all these impressions, all these stimulations so that I don't blow up at the end of each <laughs> wildlife and wilderness experience. Uh, I'll be very honest. If I didn't have my exposure to wildlife and wilderness, I don't know if there'd be much of the bounty left. But anyway, 
Which one destination would you recommend a first-time visitor to Botswana visits? Moremi, Moremi Game Reserve. Why? I mean, it's so diverse. It's got everything. You've got the forest, you've got the river, you've got the savannah, you, you've got the wildlife, you've got the, I mean, you've got Eden, you've got the Kavango right there. I mean, it's like Eden in, in its form. I've, I've sometimes been in, in Moremi Game Reserve, but in the middle of the desert. You know, they, 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 there's also a little some mm. patches where I feel like, wow, this feels deserty. So you've got everything around you. I just love Moreni. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. One resource everyone coming to Botswana should know about. Can I think about that? I was actually thinking about that earlier, and I thought, oof, this is going to be a difficult one. Can I answer what I think your answer should be? <laughs> Wait, tell me. I think you should be saying your books. Yes, definitely. Oh, come on. I was like, okay. Vanity aside, one. <laughs> oh, Tesla, you flatter me. Okay, yes, my book. One resource every traveler should leave the country with is one of my books. Fantastic. And I second that recommendation. Your books are wonderful gifts and they are entertaining. And my bookworm child absolutely adores them. So I think they're great and they are a great capsule of culture. So um, so well done, Bonte. All right, the next one's the important one. Sundowners, key Botswana safari experience. What is your tip for the, either a great safari, sundowner destination, drink, or piece of advice to get the most out of your sundowner? Okay, the most, again, the best sundowners I've ever had in my entire life have been in Moremi Game Reserve, in different parts of Moremi Game Reserve. It depends on the time of the year. But to get specific Quara, as far as Kondo Safaris, has also given me some pretty unique, stunning sunsets. As far as a sunset drink, I can't go wrong with gin and tonic. Have you got a favorite gin that you can that you suggest, or are you Charles Charles Tangeray, dude? Um, and tip: don't have too many people around you, please. I like that. I like that. All right, post lockdown, if you had a weekend to spare to go and explore, where would you head? Whew. A friend of mine actually said to me, we need to go somewhere after this, after the lockdown. And I was just like, oh my gosh, where, where would we go? Where would we go? I'd probably go to Kubulaj in Kasani. <laughs> can you believe it? Because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm overselling Moreni. Like I said, you know, I cannot go wrong with Moreni. But Kubulaj in Kasani is one of my favorite places outside Moreni Game Reserve. I'd either go there. Or CKGR. Well, considering all the water that's in the Chobe at the moment, I think that that would be a great suggestion. But then also, of course, a little bit of Kalahari night skies to to appreciate our survival of this would also obviously be a great way to celebrate post celebrate the end of lockdown. Exactly, and I mean, also it's not hot enough. I mean, the Kalahari wouldn't be too uncomfortable. Well, Bonte, thank you so much for this conversation. I um, really appreciate it. It's been interesting times through lockdown and it's been great to have a reason to touch base with you after these years of not having seen each other. And I really appreciate your time and your insights this evening. 
No, thank you very much for thinking of me, Tessa. And all the best with this wonderful initiative. I think it's going to go places, and I really hope you'll just get, um, you know, lots of growth as well and nourishment from it, you know? So thank you very much for involving me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I hope that this isn't the last time. As we have discovered tonight, there's so much to talk about when it comes to cultural tourism. And hopefully, as a result of our conversation, the entrepreneurs out there and the enterprising youth take advantage of this big gap. And we've got lots of future developments to talk about going forward. Absolutely. 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 Botamile of Tabern Short Storytellers, based in Maun, discussing cultural tourism and the potential for new cultural tourism opportunities in Botswana. Thank you for taking this next step on this journey with me, and thank you for following Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast. Join me on my next episode where we discuss photographic safaris and how to make the most of that experience.